Well, in the 1999 movie, The Matrix, there is an iconic scene where Neo, the protagonist, is sitting in a chair across from Morpheus. And Morpheus holds out two pills. If Neo reaches over and takes the blue pill, he returns back to sleep and ends up forgetting all that has taken place so far in the movie. If he takes the red pill, everything changes. He'll learn all about the Matrix and enter into the fight against it. Now, because this scene takes place in like the first third of the movie, of course he takes the red pill. If he'd taken the blue pill, this would have been a really boring, confusing movie. right? So he takes the red pill and everything changes. I think it was a brilliant part on the, the writers and directors to include pills. Because we as Americans are always looking for a magic pill. I mean, just think about it. We ingest pills filled with vitamins for the purpose of making us healthy. I know people who they take pills in order to lose weight. Athletes take pills trying to get a competitive advantage. We're always looking for some sort of magic pill that's just going to make our life better. But this isn't just a physical thing. This also enters into the emotional arena. For instance, just watch commercials. Watch how an advertiser promotes their product. They want you to think it as like a magic pill, that if you just buy their product, your life will be so much better or easier or you'll be more famous or whatever. It's a magic pill. Or go and purchase a self-help book or surf a life hack website. They're always promising you, if you just do this one thing, your life will be so much better. So is it any surprise that this idea, this longing for a magic pill, slips into the spiritual arena as well? So often, people are looking for some way to connect with the divine, to do something that will just make life all better, make it more perfect, make it everything they long for it to be. Today, we start a new series called Disciplined. It's just going to be an overview of what many people call the spiritual disciplines. We're going to look at nine different disciplines, starting with today. But the danger in talking about these disciplines is that some people try to turn them into a magic pill. We're going to look at a wide variety of different activities that people, Jesus followers throughout the centuries, have engaged in. And I'm going to invite you to try some of these on. Because you might get into one of these and it might really do something great in your faith. But so often what some of us do is we try to take the spiritual discipline and pretend it's a magic pill. That if we just do this, then suddenly I'll be more spiritual, people will be really impressed with me, and God will love me more. And nothing could be further from the truth. Part of why we look for these magic pills is because we are broken inside. If you're a first-time guest with us at Riverwood, we talk about what some people refer to as the Imago Dei, the image of God. That back in the book of Genesis, when God created humans, he said, let us make mankind in our image. So the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they huddle up and they say, hey, I got a great idea. Let's create humans. And when God created humans, he created them differently than the rest of creation. I mean, just look at how humans are compared to animals or, or to the rest of nature. Like, there's this will, this personality, this intellect. There's just something about humans that's different than the rest of creation. That's the image of God. But when Adam and Eve broke the only rule that God had for them in the Garden of Eden, sin entered into the story, and it broke the image of God. And the penalty for breaking God's image is death. 
But God, because he loved us, responded to the sin of Adam and Eve and to all of humanity by coming himself, taking on human flesh to look like a normal flawed human, but he did not have a broken image. And yet, even though his image was not broken, he went and died in the place of people whose image was. And now, anyone who places their faith in that story, they trust Jesus, the perfect image bearer, if they put their faith in him, God begins this process of restoring God, his image within them again. That, that's why at Riverwood, we talk about what God wants is for you to love like Jesus loved and to live like Jesus lived, to see that image restored within you. Uh, the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 29, it talks about this very idea. It, it echoes what I think all of the New Testament declares, that God's goal for you, God's dream, is to conform the image of his son within you, that you would love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. But the verse right before Romans 8, 29, verse 28, says that God will use all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, many of us, we've, if you've been a Christian for very long, you, you possibly know that verse, and, and you know that verse gets trotted out when things get really, really hard. You know, well, hey, God's going to use all things for the good of those who love him. Okay, yeah, but it says he's going to use all things, not just bad things, which means... God can even use spiritual disciplines to accomplish his goal of making you like Jesus. That's what spiritual disciplines are about. They aren't these magic pills that, that you take in order to, you know, make God love you more. It isn't some legalistic list of things that you have to do to, to get this angry God off your back. No, these are things that you are invited into, that God, in his grace, who died for your sin, invites you into this relationship with him. And he wants to shape and fashion you into the likeness of his son. So he invites you to do these things, to engage in these spiritual disciplines, because it ultimately is going to be for your joy because it's going to bring him glory. Because what God wants to do is he wants to work greatly through you. But before he works through you, he wants to work in you. And these spiritual disciplines are a way for you to invite God to work in you. And that is why we're going to take this summer to just talk about some various disciplines that we can engage in that allow God to do that in us. So as we get ready to launch into the series, would you pray with me? So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would be the teacher, uh, that this goes beyond what I've tried to prepare for today, that, that ultimately this is about what you have to say. And so, Father, I just pray right now that, that the things that need to be said, you would make sure they are said, even if I don't say them, that your scripture just brings it out. And God, if I say anything that isn't in line with you and who you are and what you want to accomplish, I pray that you just very gracefully and, and just help us to forget those things. But the things that are of you, help us to hold on to those and, and that you would use them to shape and fashion us into the likeness of Jesus. So Father, as we jump into 2 Timothy and look at some other verses, may you accomplish in us what you have set out to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The very first discipline we are going to talk about as a church family is the spiritual discipline of Scripture, of scriptural intake. And to help us kind of look at this, I want to take you to a really kind of odd uh, verse. It's kind of this little obscure verse out of 2 Timothy. So if you brought a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to 2 Timothy. We're going to do one thing differently during this series. Um, if you're a first-time guest with us, normally at this point in the message as we get ready to open up the Bible together, I'll have the scripture up on the screen. But then it dawned on me this week as I'm working on it that, okay, I'm going to be telling you, you really need to open up the Bible. And yet, 
then I provide the scripture on the screen. And I think a lot of us just go, oh, I don't need to bring my Bible because it's right there on the screen. So for this series, at least for this series, we're not going to have the scripture up on the screen. So uh, is Miguel still here? You, you hear Miguel or one of the ushers? Okay. If you need a Bible, would you just raise your hand right now? And by the way, if you have a Bible on your phone, that's totally okay. No one's going to accuse you of going to Facebook. All right. Feel free to pull that out, okay? You can use that. But if you don't have a Bible, I want everyone to have a Bible. So, just, so raise your hand. It's totally, totally fine. I want everyone to have a Bible. We're going to open this up together, and we're going to read it, uh, all right? So as, as Miguel's passing out the uh, Bibles, uh, let me just kind of clue you in on what it is we're going to read. Second Timothy is a letter from Paul to a pastor named Timothy. Much of the New Testament is comprised of these sort of letters. Most of Paul's letters are written to churches, but at least three of his letters were written to pastors, Two of those letters were written to one pastor named Timothy. If you go and read in the book of Acts, you'll see a part where Paul is traveling around telling people about Jesus, and he's told about this young man named Timothy, and everyone speaks really, really highly of him. Paul goes and meets him, in a sense gives him an interview, and says, all right, I want you to travel with me. And so for a few years, Timothy actually traveled with Paul around the world, saw Paul doing ministry, saw him preaching the gospel, saw these churches being planted. Well, one day, they, not one day, but at one time, they were in the city of Ephesus. They helped start this new church, and Paul actually pastored that church for three years. It was the longest he was in any place at one time after he had started his itinerant ministry. Well, this was such a key strategic city, and this was such an important church, that Paul felt he couldn't just hand it over to anyone. He ended up handing it to the guy he trusted the most. He handed it to Timothy. And so to help Timothy continue to grow as a pastor, to continue to mentor him, he wrote him at least these two letters. The second one we know is 2 Timothy. Now here's the thing about 2 Timothy. A lot of scholars believe this is the last letter that Paul ever wrote. There's several clues within this letter that kind of give us an idea that Paul senses the end is near. You see, Paul at this time is in house arrest in Rome, meaning he's under arrest. He's not free to just go wherever he wants, but he's allowed to have visitors come to him. It was, it was a beautiful place for him to write letters off to churches and to pastors like Timothy. But he senses something's changed within the Roman government. It's starting to come to the end. At any moment, the guards could come and say, that's it. We're killing you because of your faith. So he's writing this one last letter to Timothy. But you'll notice in the, towards the end of the letter, chapter 4, verse 9, he says, hey, Timothy, if you can, come to me. And what I want you to notice is what he asks Timothy to bring. So join me in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Paul wrote to Timothy, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Now, perhaps winter is coming. And so he's saying, hey, uh, it's starting to get cold. You know, my HVAC is out here in you know, Rome because we don't have HVAC. So if you could bring my cloak, that'd be really, really nice. I'd appreciate that. And, oh, hey, I'm under house arrest. It's kind of boring. Netflix hasn't been invented yet. So if you could bring the books, I'd really appreciate it. But then he says one more thing. He says, above all, the parchments. The parchments would have been scrolls of the Hebrew scriptures. Most of us Christians call it the Old Testament. For, for Paul, though, it was the Bible, because God had been using him to actively write the New Testament, but it hadn't been collected into any sort of canon. So when he's saying, send me the, bring me the parchments, he's asking for scrolls of the Old Testament. Now, what's fascinating to me about that is that Paul, being a Jewish rabbi, most likely would have had the first five books 
memorized. The, the Jews would call it the Torah. Many Christians today, they call it the Pentateuch. The first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, memorized. Like when I'm at Family Video and they ask me for the phone number on the account, I can barely remember it, right? He has five books memorized. This is impressive. And he probably has like the rest of the Hebrew scriptures memorized. Maybe not, but it's possible. Think about that. If anyone didn't need the parchments brought to them, it's Paul. I mean, he could just sit there and go, oh yeah, you know, Isaiah says, and he could just start reciting it. Instead, he says, hey, bring me the parchments. Why? Why does he ask for them? I think he gives us a clue in the previous chapter. Look up in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Again, Paul writes, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I think that Paul, even though he had the scriptures memorized, knows that maybe he's kind of forgotten something or something will hit him in a new way and he wants to pour over it one more time. Because he knows that this scripture, it's effective, it's profitable to continue to train him, to continue to correct him, to continue to equip him. In other words, to help him become more like Jesus. And because Paul knows that is God's goal, he wants the parchments to continue to study them, read them, and to be disciplined in them. So if a giant of the faith like Paul, who had much of the Old Testament memorized, who was being used by God to write much of the New Testament, is saying, bring me the parchments, bring me the Bible, let me continue to read and study the scriptures, how much more do you and I need this? That's why I'm going to invite you to start making the scriptures a regular part of your life. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, this is a perfect way to begin to know Jesus. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, maybe you haven't been into the scriptures. I'm going to invite you, make this part of your daily life. Maybe it has been part of your life, but maybe you're getting a little bored with it. Maybe it's just not hitting you anymore. Today, I'm going to give you some suggestions of things you can do to change it up. Because that's one thing that I've discovered. When it comes to reading the Bible, God does not give a one-size-fits-all plan. All right? As I look out, I see a wide variety of personalities, of, of experience, in, in, in age, in life, in following Jesus. And so your approach to the scriptures might be different than the person sitting right next to you. And so that's what I want to talk about. And I'm going to throw out three ideas, three ways that you can make this a discipline in your life. The first way is to read, to read the scriptures. When it comes to reading the scriptures, you need to first make it uh, uh, discipline by setting aside time. You need to find a time to actually do it. Uh, this past week, I, uh, uh, I was reading a, a book, and in the book, it said that um, a researcher had found out that the average American watched 70 hours of television a month. A month. 70 hours of television per month. It takes 70 hours to read the Bible. Right? So some people are saying, oh, I just don't have time. And yet, I seem to be able to find the time to watch my Kansas City Royals lose, you know, uh, all the time. If we could find that sort of time, I think we can carve out a little bit. I could cut out an inning or two to make time to read the Bible. You can. You've got to find the time. 
uh, the biggest recommendation to people is to read in the morning. That the first thing you do in the morning, or maybe while you're, you're reading, uh, eating breakfast, to, to read the Bible. Just start your day with it. I would say that's probably what the large majority of Christians do. However, you're not going to find anything in the Word that says you have to read it. Like, oh, if you read it at noon, God's not going to be happy. Right? No. You could be like my wife. She tends to read her Bible at noon. She's just found it's a lot easier. The morning's chaotic. Things are going on. Noon, kids are at school. Other things are going on. She can, she can find this time. So that's tends to be when she reads. Or you could be like my son who reads his Bible right before bed. Maybe that's the time that you can carve out. It doesn't matter when the time is. It's just make the time. And so the first thing is find some time. Second thing, you might consider finding a place. Just find a place. Maybe it's a favorite chair. Maybe it's the kitchen table. Maybe it's a window you like sitting by because maybe you're like me. You really like nature. And so something about just being next to the window, find a place. That sometimes helps some people. Now, a little caution. If you're that type of person who needs that specific place, great. Find it, utilize it, make it a part of this discipline, but don't get hung up in just that place. Because if you go on vacation, it doesn't mean like you can't read your Bible, all right? Like right now, you're not in your special place. You can still study the Bible here, all right? So find that place. If it helps you go deeper in your relationship with God, awesome. Do it. Utilize that. But don't get so stuck on it that it means you can't read somewhere else. All right? So find a time and a place. But also, for some of us, it, we can kind of start to get a little bored with, with it. And so I've just got some suggestions that might just spice things up for you and, and help you with this. The first is to read in chunks. To read in chunks. In January, I put out some uh, uh, reading plans on our, our table. And I've got a couple more I'm going to talk about in a, a moment. But a couple of those plans were to help you read the Bible in a year. I'm, I'm doing one of those plans right now myself. And by the way, if you're feeling like, oh man, I'm way behind. Hey, guess what? Your pastor's behind too. So you're not the only one. But sometimes in order to read the Bible in a year, you have to average three and a half chapters per day, right? That really only is about 10, 15 minutes most of the time. However, if you get behind like two, three, 10 days, suddenly it feels really, really hard to catch up. I don't want you feeling like it has to become some duty that's really burdensome. So maybe what you need to do is not try and read three and a half chapters every day. Maybe just read one chapter a day. Or... Many Bibles now, they, they put in these little sections. Maybe just read a section. Just read a little chunk. And if you're going to do that, I encourage you, slow down. D don't just try and speed through it. Okay, great. Bible reading done for the day. I'm, I'm, I go on to the next thing. No, like, stop and really read it. Study it. There's great value in understanding the breadth of the Scriptures. Sometimes there's great value in going a little deeper. So just take a chunk, just take a section and really begin to read through it and pour through it. Another idea is to, uh, I don't know if I can remember what my other idea is, read, read it repeatedly, to read it repeatedly. Uh, there's a pastor by the name of Neil Cole who rather than trying to start a church and, and get a gathering like this, he's helping start house churches all across California. And one of his suggestions for their house churches is that sometime during the week, they get together in same-sex groups of like men or women, two or three people, and they get together to, to pray for one another, to help hold each other accountable, but also to talk about what they're learning from the scriptures. But Neil has this strange idea. He's, he encouraged them to not just like read the book of Colossians once during the week and come together. He encouraged them to read the equivalent of about 28 to 30 chapters a week. Which, if you were to do Colossians, means you're reading the book of Colossians every day. It's four chapters. 
Read it seven days of the week. There's your 28 chapters. About, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, I was doing a triad. thought, I'm going to give this a try. So I met with two guys, and we would. We'd jump into a book like Colossians, and we would read it every day for seven days. And Neil also says, if someone fails to accomplish it at the end of that week, everyone has to do it again. I think our group, I think we did Philippians like four times in a row. Uh, it's like, yeah, four, four weeks. Um, I, I'll be honest, by about week three, I'm just like, okay, I get it. I've read this. And I started to reach this point where it's just like, ah, I'm bored. I want to move on to something else. But we agreed to this. So I'd start reading. All of a sudden, I'd start to see something new. I, I'd see like, wait, I've, I've been reading the same book for three weeks. And how did I miss this? Or it's something I'd read before, but because of something that happened the previous day, it would hit me in a whole new way. Sometimes if you read something repeatedly, you begin to appreciate the scriptures even more. So I'm going to encourage you, don't just read chunks. Maybe read those chunks repeatedly over and over. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I'd encourage you, jump into like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of the gospels. Look at Jesus himself and maybe pick a section and just read it over and over. How does Jesus love? What does Jesus teach? How did he live? Start figuring this out and read it repeatedly. So read in chunks, read repeatedly. Some of you, you may want to try to read aloud. Uh, as you read aloud, you're not only reading with your eyes, you're also reading with your ears. You're, you're hearing it being read. We're going to talk about that a little more here in a moment. Some of you, though, this might help. Now, I'm going to caution you. If you do something like public transportation or, you know, you're at work, I probably wouldn't recommend reading aloud there. Okay, maybe you can, you could go for it, but you're, just get ready for some stairs. All right, find that place, but then read aloud. Something might happen. Something might open up for you and you begin to appreciate it in a whole new way. All right, so read aloud. And then lastly, read with others. Maybe if you're married, you and your spouse partner up together. Say, you know what? Over breakfast, right after we get the kids off school, let, maybe let's just sit down and read. Or after we get the kids in bed, let's just sit down and read. Let's help each other in this. Maybe you got a coworker that you get along with really well. They also follow Jesus. You guys could like, you know, once, twice, you know, every day, you know, get together and read the scriptures together. Uh, maybe it's with your kid as you're helping put them to bed at night. You're, you're reading with them. Read with others, because sometimes as you're reading with them, you begin to see things in a whole new way. You stay focused because your mind isn't going everywhere else, because you're now there with someone else, and God could use that. So read, read in chunks, read repeatedly, read aloud, and read with others. Um, what to read? Many of us, we need a Bible reading plan. Uh, if, if that's you, I've got a couple uh, on the back table. Uh, one is just a flexible reading plan. It, you'll notice it has every book of the Bible and all of the chapters listed out. And after you read a chapter, you can check it off. That way you know when you've read something or not. And so if you want, you could go for it. You could read the whole Bible in a year. You could read it in three months. You could read it in three years, right? But that way you just take it, fold it up, put it in your Bible, and then you could just check off. And that way you know, hey, I've, I've read that before. Maybe you're new to the Bible. Maybe the idea of reading the entire Bible is so overwhelming. I'd encourage you to pick up the little uh, bookmark that's back there. Well, I guess not that little. It's, it's kind of a big bookmark. But it just gives you a 28-day overview of the New Testament. And it's just got some great passages in there. Uh, we put this together a few years ago, and my daughter helped with it. She picked some fantastic passages. And so I'd encourage you, pick that up. If you're, if you're new to the Bible, that will give you a great overview as well, right? But the main thing is read. Read the scriptures. Even if it's just a chunk, even if you're doing it repeatedly, you're doing it aloud, find ways to read. Now, already I can sense some of you are pushing back, saying, Aaron, I'm not a good reader. 
I don't like to read. I'm not a strong reader. Like, I, I've got dyslexia or, you know, ADD or, or whatever. You, you're, you've got an excuse. I, I just, I'm not a good reader. That's why number two is for you. Second idea is to listen. Listen to the Bible. Many of you use the uh, YouVersion app, the Bible app on your phone. Inside of that are some audio Bibles. And so when you pull up a passage, not only can you read it yourself, but if you start looking, some of the translations have a little icon indicating you can listen. And so you could listen to the Bible being read to you. And it's not in some computerized Siri voice. Like, it's actual recordings of real people. Do it. Well, I guess Siri was a real person, but you know what I mean. Uh, but it's like voice actors who are actually, you know, reading this with emphasis and, and, and motion and movement. And, and they could actually draw you in. Some of you would benefit greatly by that. I mean, you, you're already jumping in the car and turning on the radio. Or if you're like me, you're listening to podcasts. Why not just set that time aside and listen to the Bible? You know, if you want, you can go old school and go on Amazon or on ChristianBook.com and order CDs. If you drive an old car like me, you could actually have a CD that you put in and listen to the Bible. Or go to iTunes, download it, put it on your phone, listen to it being read. Some of them have very dramatic readings of the scripture where they add music and sound effects. If that's what God's going to use to draw you in, then do it. Listen to the scriptures because something powerful can happen when you listen. About three years ago, I'm going to estimate, I heard a podcast where a pastor was sharing a story of when he came to know Jesus. It was back when he was in college, and he ended up attending this church where he got paired up with this guy who later went on to become kind of a famous pastor, made, you know, wrote some best-selling books. But at that time, they were still just both 20-somethings, and they were just in a discipling relationship. And the now famous pastor at that time, he says to the new believer, hey, I think we should not only read the Bible together, but I think we should memorize the Bible. And so they did. They started to work on memorizing. But the, the guy who was new to following Jesus, he thought memorizing the Bible was like, oh, we'll pick a verse here and we'll, we'll memorize that or we'll pick a verse here. And the, the guy doing the discipling says, oh, no, 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 not, not a, a verse. We're going to memorize a whole book. And they decided to, to memorize the book of Romans. If you're familiar with the book of Romans, it is 16 chapters. Now, I don't know if they made it all the way, but in the story that this pastor was telling, They'd gotten up through chapter 8, and when it suddenly it was Thanksgiving, and he ended up going home. Now, none of his family followed Jesus yet. His parents thought he'd joined a cult. His brothers and sisters thought he was kind of crazy. But he comes home, and during the meal, he says, hey, when we're done, I I've got something I'd like to share with all of you. And he says a few of them kind of rolled their eyes like, oh, no, like he's going to preach to us. He's going to, you know, like proselytize. Like this is kind of scary and awkward. And they're all figuring out, okay, how could we like slip off to watch the uh, football game on TV and avoid this? Well, the meal gets done. And the dad actually says, son, you said you had something you wanted to share. He says, yeah. He says, I've been working on something with a buddy back at college. I just wanted to, to share it with all of you. And he stood up and he just started to recite the book of Romans from memory. He says by the time he was at, at the end of chapter one, his mom is teared up. By the time he's at chapter three, he can visibly see his dad is moved. By the time he's in chapter six, he realizes his siblings are still riveted with him. As he's finishing up into chapter eight, as far as he had gone, his family is just in awe and their full attention is on him. Within just weeks and months of that day, most of his family put their faith in Jesus and a number of them now attend the church where he is the pastor. And it all began when they began to listen to the word of God. So it's not just reading it. Sometimes power happens when you just listen to it. And so listen to it. 
Listen on your drive. Listen as you're cleaning around the house. Listen as you're on your daily walk. Or here's a novel idea. Sit down next to the window or on your back deck and just listen to the scriptures being read. It might be what God uses to help discipline you and shape you into the image of Jesus. All right, so read and listen. And then I have a third idea for you. That idea is to journal. Uh, some of you, you're, you're writers. And, and so when, when something's going on in your head and your heart, you, you've got to just pour it out by pen. Or maybe it's, it's typing it out. So some of you, maybe your mind just goes so fast. What it actually does is if you open up your Bible and you just start uh, reading through it and just write these words out. So, you know, we did 2 Timothy 3.16 just a moment ago. So you just start writing. All scripture is breathed and, and, and it slows you down and it forces you to actually have to think about the words being written. But I'm going to encourage you, some of you, to not just write out the scripture, but to take it a step further, to implement what many people call the SOAP method. SOAP just stands for scripture, observation, application, and prayer. It's just a really simple way to kind of read and be disciplined in your intake of scripture. The first thing is you just read, you know, so take 2 Timothy 3.16 again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Then what do you observe? And now this is when you pull out your notebook and you just start writing. You say, well, it says all scripture. That means not just the New Testament, which me as a, a Jesus follower am drawn to. It also means the Old Testament, that all of scripture has been breathed out by God. Oh, and it's profitable. That means it's effective. It's useful. Like there's gain. There's benefit here. For what? For teaching. God, you could actually use this to teach me. Help me to be open to, for, for, for reproof, for correction. Oh, God, you, is there something in my life that you need to correct? You just start writing out what is it you observe. And then start figuring out, how do I apply this to my life? Maybe as you're reading it and you're writing out what you observe, all of a sudden you sense God saying, you know what? I've been noticing this in your life. You're being really hypocritical right here. And suddenly you realize, oh my goodness, God is correcting me. And so you write this down. What, what do I need to do differently? I need to stop being hypocritical in this area. And then you pray. All right, God, help me. I, I, thank you for exposing this to me. Thank you for showing me my sin. I now confess that to you. God, would you continue to mold me and shape me to be more like Jesus? Because I know that this sin is not letting me do that. You want to do a great work through me, so God, do this great work in me. Would you use your scriptures to shape me into the image of Jesus? Would you continue to correct me? All right, read the scripture, write down what you observe, write down what you need to apply to your life, and then just pray about it. Just journal. So read, listen, and journal. Now, I want to give you a couple of, of cautions, all right? I've, I've seen some Christians make one of two extreme errors when it comes to their approach to scripture intake. The first is to go so overboard with it that you actually begin to worship the Bible. I know some people who are actually into worshiping the Bible. They treat the Bible as if it's the fourth member of the Trinity, all right? No, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? The true word of God is Jesus. When you go to John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you continue to study John 1, you see very clearly John is saying that that Word became flesh, that person, this human who is the Word of God, ends up going and giving his life for, for the humanity. It's very clearly Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. That is why when the Bible says that Jesus taught with authority, not like the other uh, rabbis, he taught with authority. If you look at that word authority, you'll see the first part of the word is author. Jesus is the author of the Bible. 
That's why we can call this the word of God, because Jesus embodied what he put here. So the things that he wants you to get, he put here. But this isn't what we worship. It's to draw us to the one we are to worship. This is not God. It's to point us to God. So don't make yourself like, it's the word, it's the word, it's the word. Yeah, it's the word, and the word is Jesus. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Let this be the tool that drives you to Jesus, because it really is all about him. The second error I see some people make is that they actually end up reducing the Bible. They reduce the Bible to just another book. The reason they do this is because they see that it was written by humans. Well, we know that humans are flawed. And so therefore, this is a flawed book written by humans. And, and, and there's some good things in it. Like I've got one friend, he says that, yeah, the, the Bible's inspired by God. But when he uses that word inspired, he talks about it like a country song that was inspired by a girl. Like the guy who wrote the song, he's thinking about this really pretty girl. He writes this song and then we all, you know, pay hundreds of millions of dollars so we can listen to his song, right? It's not that kind of inspired. In 2 Corinthians 3.16, which we've looked at here several times, when the Bible says that, when Paul said that it's inspired, he's actually saying it's breathed out by God. It's God breathed into place. And so, yes, it's written by humans, but it was God breathing what he wanted through those humans. He used their personalities, he used their cultures, he used their background, he used their experiences, he used their quirks. But he still made sure what he wanted embedded was there. And so you can totally trust this book. You can dig in and start reading it and studying it. You don't need to just reduce it to just another book because it's not. In fact, if you still have your Bibles open, flip open to Hebrews chapter 4. It's just a, a few uh, books back from, from uh, 2 Timothy. Go to the book of Hebrews, find chapter 4, and then go down to uh, verse 12. So look for the little 12 there uh, after the big Roman numeral 4. Hebrews 4, verse 12. The context for this verse is the author is talking all about Sabbath. All right, For the Jews, the Sabbath was very important. It was, it was from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And so they were supposed to do no work. It was the day of worship. It was a day of rest. It was very, very important. If you did not observe the Sabbath, they feared that God's wrath would be against you. He's arguing here that that Sabbath is actually pointing to something greater. He's pointing to Jesus, that Jesus and his gospel, that is true rest. It isn't just a rest on a specific day. It's a true rest in the heart. And as he's talking about this, he suddenly says this in verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, because he's talking about Jesus, Jesus is that word of God. And as the word of God, he can pierce into the deepest parts of who you are. So often what Jesus uses is what he's already written. That as you get into this written word of God, he uses it like a sword sometimes to pierce in because he loves you too much to let you just continue to go down the path you've been going on. And so he's trying to help correct you and shape you and mold you. It's like he's pulling out the chisel and he's hammering away. It's painful at times, but he's doing it because he loves you. And let that sword dive in there deep and begin to shape and craft you into that image of Jesus. About 10 years ago, Willow Creek Community Church decided that they wanted to do a study. Uh, Willow Creek's mission statement is so famous among pastors and churches that several churches actually began to adopt their mission statement as their own. Their mission statement was simply this, to turn irreligious, uh, irreligious people into fully devoted followers of Christ. 
Well, Willow Creek, after about 20, 25 years of ministry, wanted to know, have we accomplished it? Are we doing it? And so they, they put together this survey, gave it to their church family, and when the results came back and they tabulated it all up, it turned out that they were doing a lousy job. That they weren't accomplishing their mission. And this really frustrated them because Willow Creek was known for doing anything and everything they could to hire the absolute best staff. They were known by many people as having an amazing Sunday morning experience. This church, I've been in their building. I mean, you walk in and, you know, up on the screen, it'll tell you all the activities are happening. I mean, there'll be like, you know, a dozen Bible studies and this different ministry's going on and all these things happening. And yet they weren't accomplishing their mission. In fact, through their survey, because they're, they're such a large church, there were people still on their, their roles that got the survey. And when it came back, it turns out those people left the church to go to another church because they said, we loved Willow Creek. We just weren't growing spiritually. We had to go here to truly be discipled. But in the results, there was a sliver of people who had actually indicated, were showing evidence that they were growing, they were maturing in their relationship with Jesus. And so they poured into that more. Why, why, is it, why was this sliver so different than the rest of the church family? And as they began to dig in, one thing stood out. That sliver of people had made spiritual, sorry, had made a spiritual practice of reading the scripture a key part of their life. The healthiest ministries within Willow Creek were those that made the study of the scriptures the central part of that ministry. It turned out that Willow Creek had made the mistake of assuming that it was just a bunch of activity, that if you just got really active in the church, you did all these things, that's what was going to mature you. And they discovered they were wrong. That yes, serving is great. We're going to talk about that as a spiritual discipline in a few weeks. But that alone can't do it. God's goal is to mold you, to conform you into the image of Jesus. And one of his most effective tools is the word of God. It is the scripture and the Bible. And as your pastor who loves you deeply and wants to see God accomplish in you what I know you want him to accomplish, I encourage you, make this a habit. Make this a discipline. Take the time to read, to listen, and to journal. It's worth it. Yes, it means there will be some days where you're going to feel too busy. Some days you're just not going to feel like it. Some days you're just going to, you know, kind of forget. And yet God, out of his love, is going to remind you. And I don't want you sitting there feeling guilty. I don't want you whipping yourself because you haven't been doing this. Instead, I want you to hear God loves you. He's calling you into this relationship. And he's already written a love letter to you. He wants to do this in you. So would you be disciplined? Would you get into the scriptures? Even if it's just a little bit each day, find the way that works for you and start making this a part of your life. Because as you let this scripture work its way into your heart and soul, God begins to mold you and shape you and craft you to equip you to do what he's called you to do. And so Father, I just pray you would help us as a church family to be a people of the word, that we would be the people that get into these scriptures not because it's God, but because it shows us God. It draws us to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would, you would create this hunger within us, that we wouldn't come at this like a legalistic duty. Rather, we'd see this as an invitation, that you, the holy God, are inviting us into your presence. And you've already given us so much. You've taught us so much in these scriptures. So, Father, help us to just turn to you through the word to make this a part of our life so that you can mold and fashion us into the likeness 
of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.